I hope you picked up one of these leaflets. Seeing God in focus. Uh, description, very brief description <laughs> of what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks. Who he is, who we are, and his heartbeat. I'm sure there'll be quite a lot of crossover from week to week um, as we share what we feel God's put on our hearts uh, each week. You know, when you start talking about getting God in focus, it's sort of like looking at the sun with your bare eyes, really. You, you don't want to get too close to that. You don't want to do that, really. You want to edge in and, because the subject is so huge and so bright. You know, who is God? I mean, how many weeks in Alpha are there? You know, I mean, they don't, they don't really touch more than just the beginning. Who God is? He's, he's extraordinary. He's enormous. He is all-powerful. He's almighty. He's all those long words that you hear theologians talk about. Omnipotent. And words like that. I've got a 14-letter word for you later so that if you're ever stuck on the crossword, you know, and you require 14 letters, you can try this word. <laughs> I can't guarantee it'll answer the clue, but it's 14 letters for sure. So what I've got to do today really is just pick out one aspect of who God is. And we wanted to bring him into focus as father because so many Christians don't really feel connected to God as father. And I hope that our worship time helped you to do that today. I want to thank the band for choosing all the songs that I would have chosen had I been doing the choosing. And uh, I want to thank the band also in advance for the songs that I've chosen that they'll be singing after I <laughs> preach. Because what we're going to do, hopefully, is have a, another encounter time as we praise the King who is our Father. So today, what I'm trying to do for you is to introduce you to the faithful Father. The Father who is faithful. Who is God? Well, he's our Father, and he's our faithful Father. And there are all sorts of testimonies that we could draw out today about the faithfulness of God in your life. Of course, fathering is one of those subjects that in British society has sort of sunk down a bit uh, in priority over the years. It's been... Uh, such a lack of fathering in our country. Um, it's been so difficult for so many people, including many, many Christians, so that when you say father, they have pretty negative thoughts about father. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been like it for many years. I looked up some statistics, because, you know, I'm a really modern guy. I Google. 25% of children, 
are in one parent families. I suppose that doesn't shock us anymore because we're aware of it all around us. It should shock us. It should shock us. Of those one-parent families, 90% are led by the mum. 90%. The interesting thing about those statistics is is that they've been fairly stable for 10 years. It's it's like it's settled. That's our society. 25% of kids have only one parent living with them and that seems to be the way it's going to be. And the problem, of course, is that we don't know how many of the remaining 75% live in happy circumstances with good dads and good mums, do we? We have no idea, actually, what goes on behind closed doors and how much pain many children are in, even when there's two parents. So there is a lot of pain when we start talking about fathers, And so in this three weeks, we we want to just help you to grasp a different view of father, a biblical view of father, and what that means in our lives. And so it was difficult for me, even taking faithfulness of God as a subject. You know, how, how all through the Bible, it talks about a faithful God, yeah? Page after page, you can, there are so many verses, we're going to look at a lot of verses today, so I hope you've got your Bible and you're ready to flick the pages, yeah, because we want to follow this story, to, but we can only follow it to a minute extent. You could study the faithfulness of God in the scriptures for months, and probably a good thing to do. Fact, homework. <laughs> so... Guess what? There are three points, but we're going to belt through them so we can rejoice in the Lord. Because when I said, someone said to me, you know, lesson, oh, I was Sam, wasn't it? Less than three points this week, otherwise we haven't got time for worship. I've got two short points and one long one. Is that better? <laughs> okay. The first point is this, that our Father is the creator of mankind. He is, he is our father because he's the creator of mankind. He's the starter. He's the beginning. He's the alpha. In Genesis 1, okay, can I hear the pages flicking? Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps, every creeping thing that creeps, on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, He created them. And so right at the beginning, here is Father God. There is a joy in these verses. Up until now, you may have noticed that in Genesis 1, that what 
happens is it says, and God said, let there be light. You know? And God said, let there be fishes. And God said, let there be a light to rule over the day. And, a, and God said, and God said, this time it is, let us make man in our image. Isn't that a difference you notice? Let us. There's a conversation in the Godhead. Father, Son and Holy Spirit talk together and they say, let us make man in my image? No, in our image. Let us, the Trinity, make man in our image. All the aspects of God that you can think about reflected in the original Adam and Eve. It's like these verses are so exciting. Let us, let us do this. Let us. Like a, you know, like kids playing together. Yeah? You know the thing. Let's play. Doctors and nurses. And I'll be the doctor and you can be the nurse and you can be the second nurse and 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 and, and I'll say hello and you say hello and then I'll say this patient's sick and you'll say yes very sick so let's play doctors and nurses <laughs> hello hello this patient is sick yes very sick and then they don't know what to do but it's exciting to play together. And there is a sense I pick up in this. That, yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely important. It's incredibly important. It's a serious, serious subject, making mankind. But no, God says, wow, let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's make man in our image. Let's do a selfie. You're in the picture. You're in the selfie. There is image of God in men and women. And how it started out, there would have been an image of fathering. Good, good fathering. That will shape the world, take authority over all the creatures of the earth and be a good father. Take this selfie. You know, I don't know what your image of God is. Lots of people have images of God that are right out there, you know, floating on a cloud with a great long beard. Is that right? A lot of Americans have the image of God as some sort of quarterback, all-American boy. We tend to make God's picture in our image, don't we? Interesting, that. We are not to make 
idols, but we are the image of God. When we look at each other, male and female, he created them. To be fully the image of God required at our level of humanity, male and female. And so marriages begin. Male and female, he made them to reproduce and have dominion over all the earth. And so we come to this we come to this point, this sense of pride and joy that Father God has in making us. You know, oh, let's do this. This is going to be the pinnacle of creation. This is going to be the greatest day on earth. When we make, when we create, when we father the human race. On this occasion, on this moment, there was a fathering of the human race in joy and delight. This is the beginning. Imagine then what it must have felt like to be God and discover Adam and Eve and the fall, that they disobeyed that they had been unfaithful to their father God who was faithful. Imagine his pain. Now this has happened. You know, when a, a father sees things go wrong, it can be very painful for the father, yeah? And um, I don't know if you've been watching Gareth Malone's choir, and he's been in that prison in the latest series, just two, a two-part uh, series in the prison. What I noticed about the first part is they were interviewing all the different people who might or might not be involved in what he was doing. What I noticed was how they all talked about their mums and not their dads. How much absentee fatherhood there was in their lives. But then in the second one, as we got to meet some of the families of these boys locked up, because they were just boys really, and the mums and the dads talking about it, what really gutted me I don't know about you, but what really gutted me and got me weeping on the sofa was the reaction of the dads who were still involved, who didn't understand what had gone wrong and who longed for their sons to be right and longed for their sons to be restored to the family and longed for their sons to be what they were called to be. And as we were watching it, I was reminded that this, this must have been God 
feeling when he met Adam and Eve in the garden that day. It must have been his feeling that in his justice there was a, there was a punishment to come in his justice and yet in his love and in his mercy he was going to make a way to have them back. He was going to make a way that will bring people back into relationship with him, to bring them out of the prison, to bring them to himself. There was this desire immediately implemented in, t- in terms of God's design that he would do this. There must have been another discussion in heaven. There must have been another uh, another discussion what shall we do about this then and father and son and holy spirit agree that the son will come god will come god will take the punishment that is just god will be the just one and take the punishment that's due us and the, then when that is done and there's a restoration then there will be the Holy Spirit who will come and live with us and be God with us. Two sorts of Emmanuel, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so he had this plan. And we know that he he chose Abraham and talked to Abraham, the man of faith, the man who... understood in some vague way, oh, it's going to be so interesting to talk to Abraham, isn't it, when we get to glory. What did you think was going to happen? When God spoke to him, when God made this covenant, when God made this promise, when the faithful God said, Abraham, you have shown faithfulness and faith and I will be faithful to you and there will be out of your offspring someone who will bring this faithfulness of God to the whole world, to every nation. that everyone might know there's a faithful father. There's a father in heaven who will not change. There's a father in heaven who is the same, the alpha and omega, beginning and end. That there is this Godhead that has this plan to bring you back into relationship with him. It's all his initiative not ours. Praise God for that. He's a promise keeper, which is my second point. He's the creator of mankind, but he's the promise keeper. And there's so many verses we could look at, so I'm just going to pick one out from a psalm that's really been living with me for a while now. I just keep looking at these verses and thinking, wow, (laughs) What a faithful God, what an amazing God. There's Psalm 146. Psalm 146. Put not your trust in princes for, sorry, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. It's such a vivid picture, isn't it? People have plans. We have plans to do things. And then, boom, 
the end. The end of you and the end of your plans. Sometimes people die suddenly and in the middle of their plans. Hey, what's going on? I was planning things. I wonder if they get to the pearly gates and say, hey, Peter. By the way, I don't believe in any of this. Um, <laughs> maybe they get to the pearly gates and they say, hey, Peter, what's going on? I was busy doing, you know, my plans. And Peter will say, yeah, but God's plans are different to yours. Yeah. And it goes on to say this. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. This is our Father God. He keeps faith forever. You know, if you want to write something on your shaving mirror, write this, he keeps faith forever. Of all the phrases, there are many others we could have picked out in the, in the scriptures talking about the faithfulness of God. I just love this one. It's so simple. He keeps faith forever. He's a father who is good He's a father who is unchanging. He's a father who's made you in his image. He's a father who delights in you. He's a father who delights in you, singing over you. Which is another extraordinary image, isn't it? Father God sings over you. He loves you and sings over you. And so this... This psalm tells us God is faithful forever. And before Christmas, we were looking at Galatians, and I, I just want to pick up some verses in Galatians as well today. Get there in a minute. So in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 14. It says, it says, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham comes to us because God is a faithful father. All those thousands of years of history, he has kept faith with this plan. He's kept faith with his way. He's kept faith with this, that if we turn to him in faith, his faithfulness gives us this relationship with him through the Spirit. He's our Father in heaven. He's our Father in heaven. And then... What's the greatest sign that he will never let you down? What is the greatest sign of his faithfulness? What do you think 
that is? Well, I think in some ways the obvious answer, but I want to look at it a little bit carefully today, is in Luke 22. In Luke 22... Um, verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. There was a custom. Jesus had, a, just as a by the by, there was a custom Jesus had. It was a place he loved to go to. There was a little grove of trees and olives that he loved to be in, communing with his Father in heaven. And as was his custom, the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Here is the ultimate faithfulness. Jesus Christ being placed in this point of temptation to give it all up as he faces this horrendous death, not just physically, but as he faces what he knows will be the condemnation of God because of our sin, what he knows will be this cutting off because of our sin, what he knows will happen. He will be separated from his Father in a way that we cannot even begin to imagine what that looked like for him as he was in Gethsemane. And he was going to be separated by his faith in God. The faithful Father said, I will get through and rise again. It's been promised. I'm going into this black hole. And humanly speaking, there is no guarantee of anything. Humanly speaking, there's no guarantee that I will get through and out the other side, humanly speaking, this is a, an enormous, overwhelming black hole. But Jesus prays with faith. God, I don't want to test this like this. God, is there some other way we can do this? I don't want to test this like this. But not my will, but yours. When he says not my will, but yours, there's so much to it. Because what he's saying is, God, I trust you as Father. I trust that what we agreed in eternal spaces will take place on earth now. On earth, this day. On earth, this weekend. 
I trust your goodness. That you are faithful. You're a faithful God who never, ever lets you down. You're a faithful God. You are faithful through everything. You keep faith eternally. It was Jesus' moment in the humanity of his soul to trust in Father and his faithfulness. That's all he had to hold on to. That's all he had. In a sense, it was all he owned on earth. This trust in Father. He'd seen, he'd seen Father work. He'd followed the signs of Father at work. He'd seen miracles. He'd seen all sorts of stuff that Father was at work. But now, it was him. He trusted Father, followed in his footsteps as it were, as he prayed for people's healing, as he cast out demons, as he preached the word, the kingdom has come. He was finding everything being backed up by the power of Almighty God, his Father in heaven. But now comes this moment. He's a good and faithful God. And Jesus himself grasp hold of that with faith. Because he's our forerunner, because we too must grasp hold of that with faith. We too must say there's a Father in heaven who is faithful and will see his plans for me through. There might be black holes in your life right now, but he will see you through. There might be things that you want, but he will, he will have his way. Pray, not my will be done, Lord, but yours. There's lots of, there's lots of need in this room right now. And we can come to our Father who is faithful and good and will give you good gifts. But come with faith that he is a Father who never fails, who is unchanging, who's made plans for your life and will not be diverted. For he is the constant one. And he's the coming king as well. I've jumped a bit because we want to have time. So that was, the, this is the, that was the big one, the middle one. And I've left out some anyway, so I can get on to the final point, which is he's the coming king. Because now, since, uh, since Jesus came, we, were, we are in the start of the eschatological age. 14. <laughs> the eschatological age. What does that mean? Well, we're in the now and the not yet. We're in a position between then 
and the future, between the past without Christ and the future now, this new kingdom. The kingdom has come, but not completely yet. The now and the not yet. We're in this eschatological age. Galatians 4 verse 6 says this, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This plan, this faithful God had this plan of salvation for us to bring us back into relationship with him and the spirit of God comes to us. You know, you've got to be so sure of the Trinity. It's God the Father in heaven, God the Son who came to earth and rose and is with God again. I was going to read you Daniel 7. You can look that up. And then there is this extraordinary spirit of God who comes to us when we have faith. Ephesians 1 verse 13, you also, when you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is, what is the Holy Spirit? This promised Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We were sealed. The Holy Spirit comes and boom, impresses on us the image of God again. It's another selfie that he impresses on us. God the Father is determined, determined with all the resources of glory to give you your inheritance when he comes again. There is this interregnum, there is this in-between time, there is this distance between the first and the second coming, this distance in which we live. But the Holy Spirit guarantees there will be a second coming. The Holy Spirit in you guarantees that there will be a Father in heaven who appears. In Revelation 21, you know, sometimes it's difficult for us to distinguish which actor in the Trinity is acting at any particular time. Is it Father? Is it Jesus? What's, what's going on here? Um, but so let's read Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had fled away, had passed away, sorry, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for those, these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
it's true. Write these words down, they're true. Can, but can you feel the joy pulsing through Revelation 21, this joy of completion, this joy that everything has come to its completion. You feel the joy of this new creation. As God says, I'm going to make all things new. We're going to go, we're not go back to the beginning, but go beyond the beginning. He makes all things new because he's Father God in heaven. He's a father to you. And he's providing for you again. And he's providing this inheritance, this inheritance of God living with us on earth, on a new earth. And there'll be no crying and no mourning, none of, none of that pain. It'll all be gone. All that pain of bereavement, of sickness, of illness, all that pain of bad relationships and things that you've done that you wish you hadn't done. Everything like that swept away in the joy of our Father saying, oh, look, I'm doing it all new. And I will wipe every tear from their eyes because he's a good father. And he's a faithful father. So it's true.